Uh, well, good morning, Life Central. Really pleased to be back with you. You've been sitting down for a little while, so why don't you stand with me just for a moment, if you're able, uh, as we pray. Lord Jesus, we want to say this morning, thank you for your word, because it's good for us, because it's good for our soul. And I pray that in these moments we have together now, as we gather around it, you'd enable us to open our hearts and open our ears uh, to what your Holy Spirit has to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, why don't you take a seat? And as you take a seat, would you make some noise for the leaders and all of those volunteers that make our next-gen ministries happen? We're so grateful to you for everything you do. Bless you guys. Well, I'm really pleased to be back with you again today, and uh, you're going to be glad I'm here because I come bearing some very good news. Would you like to know what that good news is this morning, Life Central? The good news is, praise God, his mercies are new every morning, that this morning I have for you not just one, but two sermons. <laughs> Hungry for God's word. Hungry. Not, uh, now let me tell you why I've got one, not, not just one, but two sermons. It's because, my friends, I'm hoping to get not just one, but two ministry gifts. Come on, Leon, bring it home. Not really. That's not really why. It's because today is our next gen service and we are talking about generations. So in my second message this morning, I would love to speak to those of you who are part of our next gen ministries. And in my first message, I'd love to speak to those of you who are not I don't know I don't know how else to say that really but I'd love to speak to those of you who are not so to get us thinking generationally uh, I came across a little bit of research recently uh, that was done by Airbnb and they set out to discover I'm not sure why they set out to discover this but they did they set out to discover the age that you become officially boring and church I am sorry to tell you it's not good news it's really, it's really not good news. But before I reveal to you the magic number that you do become officially boring, let me tell you the metrics that A and Airbnb used to measure boring. And as I do, maybe you want to do a little bit of self-diagnosis and discover if you are boring or not. Okay, so, so here's, here's how they worked it out. Uh, Airbnb said that those people who are officially boring are less likely to, one, stay out until the early hours on a weekday. Not looking good, is it? <laughs> Two, try a new hobby. Three, go out of their way to make a new friend. Four, book a spontaneous holiday. Five, learn a new skill. Six, visit a friend unannounced. Seven, change do jobs. Eight, go on a spontaneous shopping trip. I know there's some of you who don't have too much problem with that. Uh, <laughs> nine, ask someone out. And finally, ten, try a new Sport. Now, just out of interest, uh, Life Central, uh, how many of us in the room would self-diagnose as boring this morning? Let's just, uh, uh, my, uh, my hand is de definitely, it was definitely up in the room. Okay, so would you like to know what the age you become officially boring is, Life Central? Would you like to know? You don't want to know, do you? I can tell you're like, who invited this guy? Okay, so the age that Airbnb concluded you become officially boring is 39 for men. And just 35 for women. I'm really sorry. <laughs> However, 
However, it's not all bad news. It's not all bad news because the same research found that those of us who are over 50, give me a wave if that's you, hello, are 22% more likely to book a spontaneous holiday than boring people like me in their 30s and 11% more likely to pay for an expensive meal out. It seems to me, church, that the moral of the story is you can avoid becoming officially boring just as long as you have loads of money. Okay, so that's what we've learned this morning. Right, now that I've uh, successfully offended everybody under the age of 35, uh, if you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app, I would love it in this moment if you could open it up uh, to the book of Two Kings. The book of 2 Kings and chapter 2. We'll read from chapter 2 of 2 Kings and verse 1 in a moment. This is the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Now, for those of us who may be unfamiliar with the story of Elijah and Elisha this morning, Elijah was a great prophet. He lived about 900 years before Christ. And he was known for the incredible signs and wonders that God performed through his life and through his ministry. And Elisha was his protege. Elisha was his disciple. Elisha was his successor in training who would follow in Elijah's footsteps and likewise become a great prophet uh, and actually would go on to see God do even greater things through his life and ministry. So first up for message number one, I would like to speak to the Elijahs in this room. And I want us to consider the question, what's it going to take for us to raise up the next generation of Elishas to be God's representatives in their world? To see God do amazing things in their time and through their lives. How will you and I, like Elijah, pass the baton on in such a way that our ceilings become their Flaws that this generation might rise up to see and experience greater things than we have seen in our lives. So let's open up our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2 and see what we can find out. 2 Kings chapter 2, we're reading from verse 1. It says that when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord sent me to Jericho. And he replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. He replied, so be quiet. And then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak. Now, check in, because I want you to remember this bit, okay? Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up, and he struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. 
When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha replied, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now let's just pause there for a moment before we read on. Because it's important that we understand that when Elisha was asking Elijah for a double portion of his spirit, he wasn't asking for a, for a ministry twice as great as Elijah's. He wasn't asking to be twice as good as Elijah. What he was doing was invoking an ancient inheritance law by way of asking or expressing his desire to carry on with Elijah's ministry, to carry what Elijah carried, to take up his mantle from him. But most importantly, what I, what I want us to understand from this moment, church, is this. Is that Elisha wasn't asking for information. He was seeking an impartation. Let's read on in our story and verse 9. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses uh, appeared and uh, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment. He tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had been fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Where now is the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. And then it says that the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. So what does this kind of strange, unusual story have to tell you and I about what it means to raise up the next generation of Elishas? Well, primarily church, I believe that it tells us this. That there is something more important than what we teach. And it's what we impart. And what we impart to the next generation is about much more than what we communicate. It's about what we carry. What do I mean by that? Well, I believe that what we are carrying as people has to do with much more than simply the things we have learned. It's about what God has placed deep within us through the, the journey, through the experience of, of, of our lives, through, through the roads that God has traveled with us down and we have traveled with him down. Uh, what we're carrying is, isn't about knowledge, it's about character. It's about values. It's about principles that are so deeply embedded within us that they have become a part of who we are. So, we communicate what we know, but we impart who we are. What we, what we know can be taught, but who we are has to be caught. And Elisha, in this story, he wasn't asking for information. He was seeking an impartation. And we can see 
in verse 15 there, that the company of the prophets, they, they could notice, they saw, they recognized the spirit of Elijah resting upon Elisha. Elisha had caught it. Elisha had caught what Elijah had been carrying. And so, to the older generations in this church, I, I, I need to ask you to consider and reflect upon this question today. If the young people in this church were to catch a double portion of your spirit, would that be a good thing? Would that be a good thing? In other words, as my pastor and uh, a man formerly of this parish, Dan Bennett, once said to me, are you living up to what you want to pass down? Are you living up? to what you want to pass down. See, I believe this, that the best gift that you have to give to the children, the young people, the young adults, the next gen of this church isn't a fantastic children's ministry, youth ministry, young adults ministry, as important as those, as those things are, and you definitely have them here. The most important gift you have to give to these young people is a model of the people you are praying they will become. The best gift that you have to give them isn't great teaching worth hearing. It's a walk with Jesus that's worth having. And that's not something you can teach. It's only something that you can impart. One young person by the name of Emma said it with these words. I want you, Elijah, to be somebody I want to grow up like. I want you to step up and live by the Bible's standards. I want you to be inexplicably generous, unbelievably faithful, and radically committed. I want you to be a noticeably better person than my humanist teacher, my atheist doctor, my Hindu next-door neighbor. I want you to sell all you have and give it to the poor. I want you not to worry about your health like you're afraid of dying. I want you to live like you actually believe in the God you preach about. I don't, don't miss this. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. And that's when I'll start listening. She said, church, are we living up to what we want to pass down? And this, you see, is how our ceilings become their flaws. Did you notice that the first thing that Elisha did in his ministry, the very first thing that he did was to walk up to the water and see it part miraculously. Now, how would Elisha have the faith, the crazy faith, how would Elisha have the shameless audacity to attempt something as crazy as that? Do you remember? Not because Elijah had told him what to do, but because he had seen Elijah do it. He had caught what he had caught. And the very last thing that Elijah did in his ministry became the very first thing that Elisha had done in his. And you see, Elijah's ceiling became Elisha's floor. What kind of faith are we modeling for our young people to follow? Is it an audacious faith? Here's my testimony. My testimony is that I became a Christian when I was seven years old, and now I'm here. <laughs> and 
And of course, I made plenty of mistakes along the way and I got a whole load of things wrong. But the truth is, I had a fairly steady discipleship and, I, uh, and whilst I made lots of mistakes, I, I never went through that period of, like some Christians say, backsliding or turning away from God or, or giving in on my faith. And as I reflect on my life and I've asked myself why, do you know who, who I'm so thankful to God for? It's the church that raised me. And do you know why I'm thankful for that church? It's because for them, God was not just somebody who used to do stuff a couple of thousand years ago. He was somebody who still did stuff today. And I saw their audacious faith. And I saw them praying for the sick. And I saw them praying for people to be filled with the Spirit. And so all of that stuff just became an integral part of my walk with God. It didn't seem unusual to me. But the, but the most important principle I want you to catch is that it wasn't something they told me. It wasn't something they taught me. It was something that they showed me. And I caught it. I caught it from them. The Apostle Paul said it like this. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith, next generation, might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. So Elijah's in the room. The challenge today is what kind of faith are we modeling for our young people? How high today are we setting those ceilings for our young people to launch off? I love how Owen McManus says it. He says it like this. If our children are going to walk away from Christ, we need to raise them in such a way that to walk away from Jesus is to walk away from a life of faith, risk and adventure and to choose a life that is boring, mundane and ordinary. Essential are we living up to what we want to pass down? So that's my first message to the Elijahs in the room. But what about the Elishas in the room? I'm talking to the not boring people, age 34, hello and below. <laughs> because we all want to be kind of Elishas, right? We, we all want to see God do amazing things in, in our time and, and, and through our lives. And, we, and when we think of the life of Elisha, or at least when I think of the life of Elisha, I'm thinking about those miracles. I'm thinking about those signs and wonders. I'm thinking about the parting of the water. I'm thinking about uh, the floating axe head. I'm thinking about the multiplying of oil. The boy that he raised from the dead. The moment when Naaman was healed of his leprosy. And, and we think, yeah, come on, give us some of that. We want to see a bit of that in our day. And and I say, yeah, go for that, guys. Go for that. And I believe God's got some of that for you. And that's what we think about when we think of the life of Elisha. But what we don't think about is what Elisha went through to get to that. Let me show you what I mean. This is an image that I saw in a shop recently. I took a little photo of it. I said, grab it now. Because tomorrow... It might be gone forever. And I took a little photo of it because it seemed to me reflective of the, of the culture that you've been brought up in. You know, get it now. Don't worry if you can't afford it. You can pay for it later. Because what we need you to know is that you deserve it. And you deserve it instantly. You're entitled to it. You want information? It's in your pocket. Communication? Likewise, you want to watch a movie, stream it now. A TV show, it's on demand. How about delivery? You can get it in three days for free, but that's too long. Let's go prime and get it tomorrow. <laughs> and we've known nothing 
other than instant everything. And in many ways, that's great because it's convenient. But the danger for us, my friends, the danger for us is that we can end up feeling entitled to influence on next day delivery. But I wanted to say to you, my friends, this morning that you cannot earn a mantle in a moment. Because, you see, before this moment, when Elisha takes up Elijah's mantle, we go all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elisha first began journeying with Elijah. And in the intervening four chapters between that moment and this, Elisha's name is not mentioned even once. Not at all. And for seven years, Elisha lived in the background. For seven long years, he was out of the spotlight and he was content to simply serve faithfully, consistently, humbly. And then eventually when he does show up at the story, even then he, he, he's saying to Elijah, no, I won't leave you at Gilgal. No, no, I won't give up at Bethel. No, I, I won't back down at Jericho. And what it shows us today is this. If you checked out, please let me see your whites of your eyes in this moment because this is really important. What Elisha's journey shows us today, my friends, is this. That long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity every single time in the kingdom of God. Why? Because... We cannot expect God to use us miraculously when we're addicted to immediacy. If we really want to see the things that Elisha saw in his life, then we need to be willing to do the things that Elisha did. We need to be willing to demonstrate the, the seven years of faithful consistency in the background and, and out of the spotlight. Why? Because the things that happen in the background are often responsible for the things that God entrusts to you in the foreground. The things that happen in the private place are very often responsible for the things that happen in the public place. Because it's the small choices that nobody sees that result in the big impact that everybody wants. My friends, do you, do you know how precious and valuable a currency faithfulness is in the kingdom of God. love how Mother Teresa said it. She said it like this. Small things are indeed small, but faithfulness in small things is a great thing. Faithfulness in small things is a great thing. And it reminds me of another duo in the scripture, Paul and Timothy. Paul was the apostle. He was the, he was the church planter. He was the teacher. And he met Timothy in, in a place called Lystra when Timothy was just a teenager. And just like Elisha with Elijah, Elijah he began to travel and, and journey around with him. And they, they went all over the place. And for 15 years, 15 years, Timothy traveled with Paul until Paul finally entrusted the leadership of the church to him in Ephesus. And it was at that moment Paul wrote these words to Timothy. He said this, don't let anyone, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But, oh, hang on a second. Set an example. Turns out it's not two messages after all. I'll have to just be okay with the one ministry gift, I suppose. Turns, <laughs> turns out it's not two messages after all. It's just one. All of us. Set an example. All of us. Are we living up to what we want to pass down? 
Guys, young people, young adults, next gen in this church. Could you imagine for a moment what might happen in, in this church community, in, in this town, in your schools, your universities, if you were the ones setting an example for the believers? If you were the ones setting an example for the believers in, in speech, that you used your words never to put somebody else down, always to build one another up, that there was no coarse joking amongst you. Imagine what could happen if you were setting an example in conduct, that you weren't just talking about believing in God, but you were living like you were believing in God. Imagine what could happen, young people, if you were setting an example in love, if you were modeling what true community could look like, if we just loved one another like Jesus loved us. If you were setting an example in faith that you had that shameless audacity in the things that you were anticipating God to do, that you were praying for the people who were sick without a moment's hesitation, if you were setting an example in purity that there was not even a hint of sexual immorality among you, could you imagine what God could do through a generation like that? Well, I think I know what he'd do. I think you'd be a generation of Elisha's. I think you'd be a generation to whom God would entrust the mantle, to whom God would entrust the responsibility and the opportunity and the authority, to whom God would entrust the double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Why, you know, guys, it's the internal character that you have today that will determine the external reach you'll have tomorrow. And do you know one thing I love about Life Central Church. It's that this is a church where the young people sit on the front rows. But I came to encourage you today, guys. Don't just sit on the front rows of the building. Sit on the front rows of what God is doing amongst you. Sit on the front rows of where God is going. Sit on the front rows of what God is saying. Be on the front rows of where God is moving. And do what? Set an example for all the believers in faith, in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity. As I close with one final story, I'll invite the band to come back. And I finish with this. It was 1858, and a Boston Sunday school teacher named Kimball began visiting one of his students at a local shoe shop where the boy worked. And through his faithful commitment, Kimball eventually had the privilege of leading this young boy to Jesus. And this young boy's name was Dwight Lyman Moody. D.L. Moody, he grew up to become a powerful evangelist and some 21 years later found himself preaching in London. A local minister in London by the name of F.B. Mayer went along to hear Moody preach and was deeply and profoundly moved by his preaching. And, and years later, Mayer then found himself back in the USA where a young student by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman became a Christian through one of Mayer's meetings. Chapman himself eventually became heavily involved in the YMCA and during his time there met and discipled a former baseball player called Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday, he became another powerful evangelist. And during one of his uh, evangelistic meetings uh, in, a small, in the small town of Charlotte, he led many people to Jesus there. The following year, some of the people who had become Christians at Billy Sunday's events 
were so inspired that they decided to run some evangelistic meetings of their own and they invited a man named Mordecai Ham to come and speak. Ham was there for three weeks and after that time he left disappointed. And he left disappointed because only a small handful of, of young people had given their lives to Jesus over the course of that time. But one of those young people was named Billy Graham who would go on to lead literally millions of people to Jesus across the whole of the world. Life Central Church, how do you, how do you change the world? How do you set the future? I'll tell you, you pass down the mantle one life at a time. And so church, this is my encouragement to all of us in every generation today. Are we living up to what we want to pass down? I wonder if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that you set for us. And that if we want to know how to live, we only need be in your presence and open your word and we will find the example in you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, today we want to take seriously the responsibility of not holding on for ourselves to what you've given us. But Lord, giving of the things that you've placed in us, passing on the baton, passing down the mantle, because we want to see a generation, Lord God, who will exceed the, the limitations of the previous generation. We want to see that no matter what wonderful things we have seen so far, and we know you've got more for us, that we'll see more and greater and wider. And so Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us Lord God, to have a walk with you that's worth having. That you'd help us to have something that's not just knowledge, that's deeper than that. That we can pass on to the next generation. God, help us to be those who are able to live up to what we want to pass down. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Uh, God bless you, Life Center.